Probably Mother's Day. I decided we would take the opportunity to talk about uh, Jesus, culture, and women today. Take a little break from our uh, Upper Room uh, series. Um, when Jesus showed up in the first century, uh, one of the things, and we've talked about this quite a bit through the Upper Room, but one of the things that Jesus came to do was to reveal the heart of the Father and to reveal who God really was. And, uh, and this had to do with, uh, with, with, uh, with people. I mean, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners and, and prostitutes and, and was loving those whom a lot of the society didn't love. And as well, when Jesus showed up, he, he takes the status of women, which was fairly low in the culture, and he, he elevates the status of women whenever uh, he runs into them. And uh, in the first century, women were not held in, in the highest regard. They were often more second-class citizens, which sadly, still in parts of the world today, they are. Uh, in Jewish culture, women were restricted uh, to an outer court at the temple. So the men could actually go in further, but if you're a woman, you couldn't. And if you're a woman, you definitely couldn't be a, couldn't be a priest in those days. In the synagogues, they were separated from the men and not permitted to, to read out loud. And so they didn't participate in anything kind of up front or uh, the, uh, the reading of the Torah. Uh, There's also this daily first century rabbinical prayer, which was not held by all rabbis. And there were, of course, some great marriages and, and those who saw women as equal in those days. But generally speaking... There is this uh, daily first century rabbinical prayer, which which per said, uh, "Thank God that I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave." And so Jesus shows up into this culture uh, where women are seen as kind of second class citizens. Their testimony wasn't valid in court, uh, and of course, not only was there Jewish culture, but also because of the Roman Empire, there was Greek culture, and it was actually worse in the Greek culture. In fact, the philosopher Aristotle, may, you may have heard of, he, he says this, As regards the sexes, the male is by nature superior and the female inferior. The male ruler and the female subject. And, and this is kind of generally the, the atmosphere of the day that Jesus shows up, uh, up to. But Jesus challenges this. Uh, he challenges it. Uh, all the time throughout the Gospels, because what Jesus came to do was not only reveal the heart of the Gospel, but he came to bring the kingdom. And God's ideal and, and, and plan, or actually I should read this verse, it's another uh, view of what was going on in New Testament times. Uh, uh, a great scholar, Dr. Klein Snodgrass, kind of a cool old name, Snodgrass, uh, he says this, by and large women were viewed as inferior and were given relatively little freedom. If they were allowed to live at birth, because a lot of uh, women, uh, uh, girl babies were actually killed. They, in, in archaeological finds, they actually find sewers uh, plugged with the, the bones of baby girls uh, in, in that culture, because women were, were second-class citizens. Uh, women were minimally educated, could not be witnesses in a court of law, could not adopt children or make a contract, could not own property or inherit, and were viewed, as both Aristotle and Josephus said, in all respects to be inferior to a man. They were seen as less intelligent, less moral, the source of sin, and a continual temptation. Typically, women lived in one part of the house, men lived in another. In many cases, they did not eat meals together. 
They were either under their father, their husbands, or some other male's relative's authority all of their lives. And so this is what Jesus shows up to. And like many things that were not kingdom, Jesus challenges them. And uh, right from the very beginning, we see that God's desire for this was not for women to be second-class citizens. In Genesis chapter 2, in this perfect world that God creates, it says God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Both men and women are created equally in the image of God. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And notice he says this to both the male and the female. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That, that God says to both men and women, I want you to rule and reign together. And this was God's desire. This was, was God's plan that, that, that man and woman uh, be lead, lead together, rule together, reign together. In fact, to, to make sure that wasn't missed, we know the woman is actually taken out of the side of Adam. And there's a point to that, that man and woman were to walk side by side. Uh, the woman wasn't taken out of the front of Adam in terms of the woman leading. Uh, the woman wasn't taken out of the back of the Adam for, in terms of the man leading. He was take, she was taken out of the side because they were to fill the earth, govern it together, reign over it together. But then the fall comes in. The fall of man enters the world. And as part of the fall, uh, part of the curse that fell on this world, part of, of what happens as a result of the fall, as the curse is laid out in Genesis chapter 3, uh, to the woman, it says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And there's going to be conflict in relationships. But he shall rule over you. Uh, the man would rule over the woman. And we've got to notice that this was a consequence of the fall. This was not like God's ideal. And sadly, a lot of people take this curse, <laughs> the result of the fall, and somehow think it's supposed to be the norm. Uh, but, but it's not. This, this is a result of the fall. And so Jesus comes up on the scene and he begins to restore this original view of man, a male and female being created in the image of God, and they're to rule and to reign together. So whenever Jesus sees in his culture uh, women being lessened, he always is elevating the status of women. Uh, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has rescued us from the curse. Again, the curse of, you know, uh, you're going to be contrary, uh, uh, you're going to have conflict with your husband and he he's going to rule over you that was part of the curse and jesus came to rescue us from that curse we, we don't want to try to live under it he's rescued us from it uh, christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross he took upon himself the curse and we see even in the temple when jesus died on the cross it said he breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom this curtain was a division between the Holy of Holies, where it was kind of the symbolic of the very presence of God, and then there was the court of the priests, and then the, the court where men could go, and then were the court of the women. The women could only go so far. But when Jesus died on the cross, that was all those barriers were, were taken away. I was like, God saying, welcome to the Holy of Holies. It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, you are welcome into the very holiest of holies, that the dividing wall, as it talks about in Ephesians, was torn down uh, the cross. And yet, we as humans in our sinfulness are always want to put, putting these walls back up. Uh, we're just trying to, you know, put women in their place or men in their place. We want to put these walls back up. When Jesus tore them, 
He, he tore them all down. Galatians 3 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is, uh, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And in Jesus' days, there were walls between Jews and Gentiles, enslaved and free. There were walls between male and female. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, no, we're all one. Male, female, created in the image of God. And we are to rule and to reign together, not one above the other. Uh, and this is the image is painted throughout the gospel. So I want to look at some of these stories where Jesus challenges the culture of the day and, and just raises the, the status of, of women uh, back to this, uh, this ideal. One story is from Luke. Uh, it says, one Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. So in a synagogue, it was kind of more like, a, like this. They're separated. The men would be on one side. The women would be on, on the other side. And, and there would be someone reading from the Torah. So Jesus is teaching at the front. And he saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. So Jesus actually calls this a woman like a front. It's kind of a no-no. Right in the middle of, of the separation that's in the synagogue, he called her up front and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, which was another no-no. Uh, and instantly, uh, she could stand straight. She, she is healed. And, of course, the men are, are upset about this. The leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. Another thing Jesus did, which he wasn't supposed to. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on, those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, you hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham... Has, uh, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? And what's shocking about this is that this uh, he, he looks at this woman and calls her a daughter of Abraham. And that was just unheard of in those days. It's always sons of Abraham. Uh, son of, son of. You've read your Bible. You see all the genus. Son of, son of. It was all about the male genealogy and the sons. And, 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 and scholars say that this was actually unheard of in the day where Jesus looks at a woman and says, daughter of Abraham. A son of Abraham was someone who was right with God, and he looks at this woman who he invited to the front of the synagogue and calls her a daughter of Abraham, that she has this equal status in the sight of God. Radical in, in those days, what, what Jesus did uh, by doing that. And of course, we have Jesus with the woman at the well, uh, which Jesus broke a lot of cultural barriers in doing this. For one... This woman at the well is a Samaritan. Jews didn't often associate with Samaritans. They were sort of the, the half-breeds, the lesser-class people. He breaks the barrier of talking to a woman. Uh, a lot of Jews would not talk to women in public unless it was family. In fact, there were radical, really religious people called, known as the bleeding Pharisees. And they were known as the bleeding Pharisees because they wouldn't even look at a woman in public. And so they'd run into things. And... <laughs> And so they're actually called the bleeding Pharisees. And of course, he breaks another cultural barrier by, by talking to not only a woman, but talking to a woman who didn't have the best of life. So if you read the story, you realize that this woman wasn't married just once or twice or three times or four times, but five times divorced. Uh, that might even be slightly awkward in this culture, but in that culture, that's craziness. 
and yet Jesus meets with her. And just to see how, how this is breaking barriers, notice what the woman says. How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? In other words, this is, I mean, Jew, you, you don't talk to me. The disciples come back, and it says they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Like, what is Jesus doing? He's a rabbi. He's talking to this woman, and, and she's a Samaritan woman. But here's the thing. While in that culture she was looked down upon, you shouldn't talk to her, the second-class citizen, do you know that the longest recorded conversation in the Bible between Jesus and anyone is this conversation? There's a point to that. There's a point to that when we put people down and say, no, you know, maybe you should, that shouldn't even be in the Bible. Jesus says, actually, it's going to be the longest recorded conversation in the Bible between a man and a woman. It is right there. It's this woman, uh, Jesus ministering to this woman. Of course, Jesus reveals, and she becomes kind of like one of these missionaries. She goes up, and again, their testimony wasn't valid in court, in court but her testimony brought a whole town to salvation. I mean, it's quite a shocking little story. And then we got John 8. This is the, the woman caught in adultery. Teacher, this is the, the, the religious guys, uh, said to Jesus, this woman, they captured this woman, was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And so these religious guys drag this, 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 this guilty woman in front of Jesus and say, you know, she should be stoned, what do you say? And immediately Jesus sees their hypo hypocrisy. Because it says she was caught in the act. And the question is, well, where's the guy? Because in that culture, and same with this culture sometimes, sometimes men have different rules than women. You know, that's just what guys do. They can get away with it, but, you know, you know, maybe that guy was a leader or something. But this woman, you know, again, they were seen kind of as the source of temptation. And Jesus sees right through them this hypocrisy of two different rules for two different classes of people. Or two different rules because you're a male, you get different rules than females. Jesus sees right through this, and of course he begins to write on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. Maybe it was the gals that the Pharisees were sleeping around with. I don't know. Maybe it was just the sin. Uh, we don't even know what. Maybe he was just scribbling. I don't know. But eventually, all of these, these religious leaders go, and he's left alone with this woman. And he says to her, because they didn't condemn her, he says, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. And, and that, that order is important uh, because it's the grace and mercy that Jesus has on us. And so, again, just another radical story of Jesus seeing this inequality and saying, nope, not going not gonna to cut it. And then we got Luke 7. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And this is what's interesting about Jesus. Jesus hung around with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, but he was also welcome. Uh, he was also going to the very other side, and he know those people. You know, in our world, we we like division. We're like on this side or that side politically or whatever it might be. We never associate with the other part, with the side. Jesus is like, you know what? I love these people. I love these people, and he was willing to hang out with either either, either side. And so this time, he's at a Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And it says a sinful, uh, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And so Jesus is eating with these Pharisees, and there were other people there, the text says. This woman who 
lived some sort of sinful life. Maybe she was a, some people think she might have been a prostitute, but it could have been other things. We don't know. It doesn't say. She comes into this house. Now, you talk about going into the lion's den. Because Pharisees, they don't want to have anything to do with these kind of people. They look down on them. I mean, what would possess, if you will, this, this woman to go into this place where she was so unwelcome? Like the most unwelcome place you could ever go was into a Pharisee's house. The reason she went in was because Jesus was there. For some reason, she thought it was safe because Jesus was there. There, there were unsafe people in the room, but she says, because Jesus is there, I am going to be safe. I mean, that how, is how we as Christian men, how women should see us. And there might be dangers out there, but, but women would look at us and say, you know, he's safe. We need to be safe. Jesus was a safe place and a person for women. And so she comes in to this place, and um, she does something, uh, again, super radical in those days. So she came there with this alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And, and in those days, if you were a woman, you never, you never let your hair down in public. Uh, you'd let your hair down if you were around family or your husband or you're hanging out at home, but you wouldn't do it in public. And, and so this woman... Who the Pharisees know her as a sinful woman. She comes in to this lion's den, but Jesus is there, and she lets her hair down and begins to wash Jesus' feet. And, of course, the Pharisees begin to freak out. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Again, these, these religious people, again, they, religion puts up walls. Jesus tears down walls. And, and he's tearing down these walls. Uh, so he turned toward this woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? What a good question. Do you see this woman? Because he did not want to see her. Uh, he wanted to put her away and put her in a place. Do you see this woman? And what Jesus does here is actually when Simon the Pharisee is trying to squash this woman to a lesser position... Jesus takes this woman and actually elevates her above the hospi uh, hospitality that the Pharisee gave. Uh, turns the tables on him. So he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Again, he's just, he's just elevating the status of these women where men and some of these religious people have put up walls. Jesus is, is pulling, them, pulling them down. In fact, Again, to make a point, Jesus actually says this about this woman. I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Do you know her story? And there are very few stories that are in all four gospels, but this one is. Again, there's a point to that. Uh, he is saying that what this woman did it is worthy of all four gospels. And what is even maybe a bit more crazy about this is John... In John's story, John actually tells us who this woman is. 
He says this woman's name was Mary. And the text says that Lazarus was also in that house and Martha. And so it's likely, we don't know for sure, but it's likely that this is actually the Mary who is like Mary and Martha Mary. Uh, this was the sinful woman who came and anoints and anoints the feet. And we know the story uh, of Mary and Martha because this is another story where Jesus challenges the culture. It said a, a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary and sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So Mary is sitting at the feet of, of, of Jesus, who was a rabbi. And in those days, that's what male disciples did, sit at the feet of their rabbi. Uh, women just didn't do that. Women's place was in the kitchen. That's where Martha was. Uh, so Martha is actually culturally in the right position. Mary is in culturally the completely wrong kitchen. She should uh, position. Mary and Martha should both be in the kitchen, but she's seated at the, at the feet of Jesus. And of course, she gets upset at Jesus and says, you know, Mary should be helping me. And Jesus replies, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. Again, most males in that culture say, well, it's best that the woman be in the kitchen. We men will sit at the feet of the rabbi. And Jesus it just blows us apart. See, actually, what Mary is doing is awesome. And in this moment, it's even better. Again, it just sees that whenever Jesus sees these walls, he, he's pulling them down and, and lifting up the status of women. In fact, radically, Jesus has women disciples. And uh, Jesus had more than 12 disciples, by the way. Lots of texts talk about this. Luke 10 uh, says, now the Lord chose 72 other disciples. So he has these 12, there are these 72. He has lots of disciples. And sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he had visited. So he's got lots of disciples. Uh, some of these disciples are people that rabbis of the day would never accept. Again, Jesus challenging these walls that were built. Uh, this is quite a crazy text, actually. Uh, Levi, or Peter, invited Jesus and his disciples to home to his home as dinner guests. And it says, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then it says this, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. And a follower of Jesus' disciple are somewhat interchangeable, but not, not at least somewhat. Many of these kinds of people were Jesus' followers. I talk about tearing down walls. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Uh, Jesus has scum for disciples, according to these religious folks. Uh, but some of these disciples were women. At one time in Matthew 12, uh, Jesus says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he says, Here are my mothers and my brothers. He uses both male and female because he had both male and female disciples. And we meet some of them in, in, in many places in the Bible. Uh, for instance, we meet some, some of them here in Luke 8. It says, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, which were the main, because they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Sometimes they say, well, why were they just, just men? Well, they were also just Jews. They weren't even Gentiles. I mean, uh, that's a whole other topic there. But uh, he took along the 12 disciples with him, 
along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And throughout the Gospels, we see that these women followed Jesus right from the very beginning to the end and play an important role in terms of disciples of Jesus. So we meet some of these uh, female disciples. So we meet Mary Magdalene is, is one of these and probably the most famous. Uh, she is talked about a lot in the Bible. In fact, she is mentioned more in the Gospels than seven of the other 12 disciples. Uh, she's mentioned more than uh, seven of the 12 disciples. Only Matthew, Peter, James, John, and Judas are actually mentioned more than Mary Magdalene. Uh, she's an incredible uh, disciple of, of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus rose from the, from the dead, guess whom the first person he appears to? Was it a man? That's what you do in the culture. Again, Jesus challenging these, 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 these barriers. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And not only did Jesus appear first to Mary Magdalene, Jesus, the first person Jesus sends out, the very first person Jesus sends out is actually not a man, it's a woman. When there's this conversation, Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, now go to my brothers and tell them what I've told you, that I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Then Mary Magdalene left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord. That's the same thing the Apostle Paul would use to, to describe his apostleship. I have seen the Lord, makes me apostle. The Apostle Paul would say, but Mary Magdalene sees this. But Jesus says, go to my brothers. And so this is why the early church called Mary Magdalene the apostle to the apostles. Because the word apostle means the sent out one. And she's the very first one who was sent out, and she is sent out to the apostles. She's the apostle to the apostles. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church today would hold... Mary Magdalene as uh, equal to the apostles. They would see this because of her role. Now, there are some traditions out there if you pay attention to any internet theology, and sometimes people say, well, would say, well, you know, Jesus had a wife and it was Mary Magdalene. Um, we only have one document that actually mentions anything like that. There is a text written in the fourth century that mentions uh, that Jesus had a wife named Mary. I don't say which Mary, but most people just assume it's Mary Magdalene. But this is a, a text that was written a couple hundred years after the Gospels. And, and there's a lot of various, sometimes called the, the Gnostic Gospels, that were written, you know, two, three hundred, four hundred years after uh, the original Gospels. And some of these Gospels are kind of strange. In fact, Mary Magdalene is, is mentioned in, in the Gospel of Thomas. It says this about her, in one of the Gnostic Gospels. Simon Peter said to them, Make Mary leave us, for females don't deserve life. And Jesus said, look, I will guide her to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every female who makes herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, some of these Gnostic Gospels, there's some crazy stuff in them like that. Uh, but this, this mention about Jesus having a wife is one of these kind of part of the, 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 Gnostic, the Gnostic Gospels. But there is nothing earlier that mentions any of that. And we know that the Gnostic Gospels have some weird stuff in them. Uh, if Jesus were married, it wouldn't have been something that the church would have had to have covered up ever, because actually for rabbis to be married was just a thing of those days. Uh, marriage was actually held in, in high esteem. We see in 1 Corinthians 9, it says, uh, uh, Paul says, don't we have the right to bring a believing wife with us, as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do, and as Peter does? And so, that means Jesus did have a wife. I mean, it clearly would have been mentioned in the Gospels. It wouldn't be something that would have had to be hid, but... All the evidence suggested uh, he didn't. 
And part of that picture is us as the church being the bride of Christ. Uh, that we are, we, are, we are his bride. So pretty certain that Jesus was not married to Mary Magdalene, but they would have had a close relationship because she was one of the, one of the, the disciples. So we meet some more disciples. We meet Mary Magdalene. Then we see Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's business manager, and Susanna, and many others, and notice what it says here, who are contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. Just like a church like this and lots of nonprofit organizations, you rely on donations. Jesus did as well. He was like a nonprofit organization guy, going around ministering, so he had people who supported him. And it, it says here, and many others supported him, but two individuals are mentioned by name. Out of all his supporters, two are mentioned by name, and they happen to be females. So guess who paid the bill when they stopped over at McDonald's? I don't know if you would stop there, but choose Joanna and Susanna. I mean, they were the ones, if you will, the breadwinners of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the breadwinners of Jesus' ministry were these two females and others, but primarily these two gals. Again, uh, I mean, these the females were one of the reasons Jesus got to do what he was doing. And it's kind of a, a very ironic, this little statement here, that Joanna, the wife of Chusa, was actually Herod's business manager. Uh, Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the, the Great. You know the guy who like, killed all the babies in the Bethlehem story? That was Herod Antipas' dad. He was just crazy. He had a lot of his own family members killed and, and was always suspicious. Well, after he died, he divided up the empire into four, his four different sons, and one of them gets Galilee, and that's Herod Antipas. So Herod Antipas has a manager over all his riches. He was extremely rich. His dad was the, one of the richest guys ever. Extremely rich. The guy who manages all of Herod Antipas' stuff is Chusa, and the wife of Chusa is paying for Jesus' bills. Now, what makes this crazy is that there's a point in Luke chapter 13 where some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. I mean, Herod wanted to kill Jesus, but ironically, Herod is the one who's actually paying for Jesus' ministry. <laughs> because it's flowing through Herod, through Chusa, and the wife of Chusa happens to be a disciple of Jesus and paying for his bills. You talk about some irony there. Uh, so Joanna is, is, a, is just one of the major disciples, one of the ones who's supporting the ministry of Jesus. Uh, we meet some other disciples. We're pretty much done here. Uh, Mark 15. So we, we see some women were there watching from a distance. And this is what's interesting about the most important aspect of Christianity, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know for the most part the men were just absent? John was at the cross, but... The men fled and they hid, but the women were, were there through the whole story. The women were the first to be a part of the resurrection. Again, Jesus just, just again, in that day, women's testimonies weren't valid in court. And Jesus puts the main emphasis of the whole resurrection, the story, like on the testimony of, of these women. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how Jesus pulled down these walls. Uh, so we see we, another Mary. If you actually trace it out, there were about six different Marys that followed Jesus. It was like the popular name in those days. Everybody was called Mary. Just like, we got lots of Michaels in our church. That's a good name, too. But there are lots of Marys in those days. So Mary, the mother of James, uh, the younger, and of Joseph. Uh, Salome is another uh, female follower. They had been followers. Notice it says they had been followers of Jesus and cared for him while he was in Galilee. They had followed him uh, much of the time. 
And many other women who had come with them to Jerusalem were also there. And then in Luke 24, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna. Again, we see Joanna who was paying for the bills. Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles uh, uh, what happened. And so uh, just, just, uh, Jesus is pulling down these walls. And of course, when the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, it says, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants and, and men and women alike. And they will prophesy and they will hear God and, and they will teach what God is saying. And he, he's tearing down these walls. That's what Jesus came to do. And if we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, which we're called to do, that whenever Jesus saw women being treated as second-class citizens, he changed the story and elevated the status of women, and we are called to do the same. That when we see women being treated as second-class citizens, we step in there with Jesus-like manner, and we change the story, and we elevate the status of women. Uh, just mind-boggling what Jesus did. So, uh, Jesus, we thank you uh, for the story uh, and just a model that you left for us. Uh, God, I thank you that you love both men, women, and children. Uh, God, you, you just love humanity. And so, Father, today we just honor women, and especially honor moms, God, on this Mother's Day. Uh, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you, uh, God, that you love us. We thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Uh, God, we thank you that you are so uh, brilliantly good. Pray this in Jesus' name.